Hi everyone, and welcome back to Mimosa Talk. It's me, your girl, Lizzie, uh, ready to talk all things TV with you while sipping on mimosas. You guys ready for this? Cheers. With Halloween over, it's time to get blown up with holiday programming. Hallmark and Lifetime already revealed their original programming even before the spooky holiday ended, but Freeform at least waited until till November 1st. This way, the schedule reveal is more of an early Christmas gift. This year's 25 Days of Christmas schedule includes the highly anticipated Foster's reunion. The reunion will happen on the spinoff Good Trouble as it reunites Callie and Mariana with moms Steph and Lena, Jesus, Jude, and Brandon, plus Brandon's wife, her parents, and her brothers. The two-hour special airs Monday, December 16th, so mark those calendars. Aside from holiday classics and favorites, Freeform is debuting an original film titled Ghosting, The Spirit of Christmas. And yes, it's about ghosting, just not in the typical fashion. The film stars the bold types Aisha D as Jess, a woman who goes on a once-in-a-lifetime date and then inadvertently ghosts the guy when she dies in a tragic car accident on the way home. The official synopsis reads, stuck on Earth with no idea how to ascend, Jess will need the help of her best friend Kara, the only person who can still see and hear her. You know, usually the movie trope allows the deceased woman to see her significant other one last time, so I kind of like this route that uh, Jess will be communicating through her bestie. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Kara and the guy are going to fall in love, which will allow Jess then to cross over. The film premieres December 4th, so don't miss it. And then we have Same Time Next Christmas, starring Glee's Leah Michelle as a young woman who reunites with her childhood sweetheart, played by the originals' hunky Charles Michael Davis. They meet up again during her annual Christmas visit to Hawaii, but circumstances keep pulling them apart. Can they overcome them? You'll find out when the movie premieres Wednesday, December 11th. Since every streaming service is feeling the holiday spirit, Amazon decided to throw a star-studded holiday special starring Casey Musgraves. The two-hour event is titled The Casey Musgraves Christmas Show and will feature other artists like Camila Cabello, Troy Sivan, Lana Del Rey, all of them singing old classics and new holiday tunes. The Late Late shows James Corden, Keeping Up with the Kardashian star Kendall Jenner, and New Girl's Zoe Deschanel will also appear in the special, so tune in for that on November 29th. There are some major characters returning to your favorite TV shows this TV season. First up is Emily Bett Records, who will reprise her role as Felicity on Arrow's final season in early 2020. Turns out Felicity will, in fact, see Oliver again. Fans were delighted to learn that Monica Raymond would return as Gabby Dawson, which might make things slightly more complicated for her ex-husband, Casey. Raymond is returning in the mid-season finale of Chicago Fire, airing November 20th. She's back in town to raise money for her aid organization, and she visits Firehouse 51 to pay her respects to Otis and to reconnect with some of her old friends. Uh, when talking to Entertainment Weekly, Raymond teased sparks between Dawson and Casey, adding that they'll always have an unbreakable bond. 
No word on whether or not Raymond's character will stick around for more episodes or if Dawson will travel on back to Puerto Rico, but fans just, they don't want to miss this epic comeback, so be sure you're tuned in. Uh, In some sadder news, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel star Brian Tarantina has passed away. He was most recently known for his role on the Amazon show as club owner Jackie. Now, news outlets reported that Tarantino was found dead in his Hell's Kitchen apartment. A cause of death has not been determined, but they did say drugs may be to blame. He was 60 years old. Netflix is finally hitting the play button on Jenna Dewan's new musical series, Soundtrack, or Mixtape as it was previously known. Season one of the new musical drama is set to premiere on Wednesday, December 1st, and it is described as a groundbreaking drama that explores the love stories connecting a diverse group of people through the music that lives inside their hearts and minds. If the fact that Jenna frickin' Dewan is in it doesn't convince you to watch, let me give you two more reasons. Christina Milian and Madeleine Stowe. Yes, the Victoria Grayson. A few months ago, Stranger Things debuted a series teaser for their upcoming fourth season um, that had the tagline, we're not in Hawkins anymore. And since we're venturing outside of Hawkins, well, it's only logical that we'll meet some new characters along the way, especially after they killed off, hopefully not permanently, two strong characters. We need some fresh blood. Though reps for the show declined to comment about the casting rumors, Word is that the Duffer brothers are casting four new male leads. Three of them will be teenagers with various personalities like the metalhead and the entitled jock. The fourth older presence is possibly a character that we're going to meet in Russia. Production hasn't begun on the series yet, so everything is you know still open to change. The fourth and likely final season will have a total of eight episodes, much like season one and three. For those of you who think holidays and immediately see vampires, well, that's valid. And Netflix has something just for you. Ian Summerholder, who is more than familiar with the vampire genre, is sinking his teeth into yet another vampire flick. This new one is titled V Wars and will be available for your streaming needs on Thursday, December 5th. Summerholder is playing the complete opposite of his TVD character, baddie vampire Damon Salvatore. In this new series, he's starring as Luther Swan, a doctor whose best friend, Michael Fane, played by Arrow's Adrian Holmes, is infected by a mysterious disease that transforms humans into vampires. Soon, he becomes the most powerful underground leader of the vampires. Seems like something I'm going to be definitely watching. And finally, Jared Padalecki is clearing the air about his recent arrest. As I mentioned in the last episode of Mimosa Talk, Padalecki was charged with two counts of assault and public intoxication at a nightclub in Austin, Texas. He addressed fans on Twitter, thanking them for their love and support. He also apologized to those who he disappointed by missing a Supernatural's Creation Entertainment Convention in D.C. over the weekend. His co-star, Jensen Ackles, took a comedic approach to the situation at the convention, 
assuring fans that his big dumb friend was doing fine and taking care of the situation. He also said that when Padalecki returned to set last Wednesday, they poked fun and brought him onto set in handcuffs. We're having fun with it, Ackles joked. The crew really wanted to wear orange jumpsuits, but we couldn't get them in on time. You just gotta love their sense of humor. All right, so it's that time we're moving into dissecting and discussing shows of the week. So I'm giving you the spoiler alert in case you aren't caught up and want to come back and tune in later. On Emergence, Piper finally met Richard Kindred, but it wasn't in a way that Joe was aware of. Piper kept having visions of a doorway that appeared randomly throughout the episode, and when she finally walked up the stairs and through the door, she met Kindred on the other side. We're all assuming he has nefarious intentions, and the fact that Piper cannot remember meeting him once she returns to the normal world is worrisome. Kindred can do or say whatever he wants to her in that little space, which could theoretically reprogram her and Joe would never know. He tells Piper he has big plans and compares her to a revolutionary new color, which sounds like someone who is planning to roll out this brand new and shiny technology at some point, right? Part of me thinks that Kindred's plan has always been for Piper to live with a normal family to test her true quote-unquote human capabilities. Maybe this is the real test. Piper's love for Joe and her family is stronger than anything for now, which could prove that robots and androids can develop emotional attachments, just as it proves that humans can form attachments to robots if they resemble humans and interact as humans do. Benny, who I thought had some brains to him, wasn't thinking clearly in his revenge. April's death should have been avenged, but... Benny sprinting off to chase down the killer after he'd been shot was a terrible move and one that would never have resulted in success. The bottom line is that Joe is in way over her head with Kindred. She tries her best, but he's always one step ahead of her and has plenty more resources, resources than she does. Alex lost a job because Joe made an enemy out of Kindred, and that was probably the tip of the iceberg when it comes to his capabilities. Since Alex is so involved at this point, I do think it's fair that Joe eventually loops him in. Now that Mia has figured out that Piper has powers, I mean, she flat out asked her if she does. Everyone's going to know soon enough. Mia witnessed Piper saving them after Ed lost consciousness behind the wheel. And this isn't the first time something like this happened when Piper was scared. Piper somehow was able to sniff out that Ed has cancer, which seems like an impressive trait for a robot. Did she pick up on his body language? Can she detect viruses? And better yet, can she cure them? Ed is resisting treatment as he knows it's too far gone, but I refuse to believe that Emergence would kill him off so early on in the game as he's one of the fan favorites. Piper has to be the answer here, right? Riverdale finally gave us a Halloween episode It's been a long time coming, and it was fantastic. No one was spared from the creepiness that ensued in the already murderous town of Riverdale, but Jughead definitely got the worst end of it. Jughead was buried alive, aka everyone's biggest fear. The claustrophobia was real this episode. 
Jughead was a victim of his class at Stonewall Prep that kept him in there overnight as part of an initiation. Mr. Chipping claimed he had no idea of the prank, but he totally took out Jughead's phone from his pocket and gave it to him after letting him out of the casket. He absolutely knew and allowed it to happen. I don't know what's worse, the teens in these small towns or the damn adults. The initiation was meant to scare Jughead or send him a message. They don't want him there. But ultimately, it's going to force Jughead to investigate the secrets of this eerie school. Is that what gets him killed? Oh yeah, the final moments of the episode showed Betty and FP at the morgue, identifying what very much looked like Jughead's body. This is the ending of that search mission in earlier episodes, but is it a fake out? I can't really stand behind a series killing off a character who was a twin in real life. Could this be how they introduce a new twin storyline? Or is Dylan Sprouse really Charles? Because I'm not convinced that Charles is actually actually Charles anymore. We were... Because I'm not convinced that Charles is actually Charles anymore. We were wary of him at the beginning, but seeing him offer his assistance to Betty and taking down the farm made it seem like he was telling the truth. That is, until Betty began getting Halloween calls from the Black Hood. We know the Black Hood is dead since we saw him die. So who was calling Betty? Charles arrived in the nick of time to be Betty's savior and helped her trace the call to Polly's institution. When Betty confronted Polly with the best line, It's your sister, B." Polly didn't seem to know what Betty was talking about. If I had to guess, I would say that Polly is still very much influenced by Edgar, and she's either getting manipulated by someone like Charles, or she's just getting falsely blamed. Either way, poor Betty and her damn PTSD. She probably jumps every time the freaking phone rings. At least she she delivered some classic horror film screams. Veronica's storyline was disconnected from the rest of the plot, but it did pay homage to classic horror films. The creepy man who came into the diner was, in fact, a murderer who escaped the same institution where Polly is locked up. Coincidence? He wanted to kill Ronnie after she served him a meal because, you know, murder is best done on a full stomach. Thankfully, Veronica outsmarted him and lit him up. Literally. Archie kept his kickboxing ring open, again to keep all of the kids out of trouble. But the kickboxing ring is a temporary fix to a bigger situation. Sure, the kids can hide out there for a bit, but they still have to face the real world where Dodger is out there. It's better to just join his team than go up against him. Archie's trying his best to eliminate the problem, but he's only masking it for now. I don't know if becoming a vigilante is his best idea, but maybe he can join the Arrowverse crossover. Let's hope he at least gets a better costume than the one that he got on Halloween. Nancy Drew's ratings are dropping lower week to week, and it's a shame because the series is such a fun, easygoing, yet thrilling mystery. It's getting harder to crack by the minute. While everyone started as suspects in the first episode, the more we get to know them, the more we realize that none of them truly have a motive to kill Tiffany, and that the killer may very well be supernatural. There's no denying that Horseshoe Bay has a bit of a ghost problem. We already met Rita, who manifested herself as a person looking for a job when George was cursed. 
But now, the problem seems to be Tiffany's unsettled spirit. George called her mom, a clairvoyant, who told them the exact recipe to directing a spirit right back into its body. After all, Tiffany was getting a little out of control after attacking Bess. With her other woman guilt weighing on her, George volunteered to complete the mission and, despite a few hiccups, successfully put the ring back on Tiffany's finger. However, she failed to place the mirror over her heart, so Tiffany's spirit stayed with her and possessed poor George. Is this what the bucket of blood meant by getting cursed? Tiffany using George's body may be helpful. Not only is it pretty fitting payback for sleeping with her husband, but Tiffany can now tell us who killed her. Tiffany's sister, Lauren, blew into town echoing what Nancy Drew already knew. There was no way the autopsy was correct in saying Tiffany died of natural causes when there's a distressed 911 call out there. Lauren is a spitfire and the type of personality needed to shake things up in town. She's also romantically involved with Ace, which has ruined his setup with the Chief. Hopefully their alliance will give us more insight into who Ace is and what the Chief had on him this whole time. Aside from being attacked by a ghost, Bess was attacked by Nancy, who realized she isn't who she says she is. She's not a Marvin. Well, at least we don't know if she is yet. She came from England to see if she had any family back in Horseshoe Bay, which doesn't really make her a killer. It makes her desperate. Nancy's going to need to replace all of her electronics after they were destroyed by the ghost of what seems like Lucy Sable. The mark on each of her, like her TV, her microwave, was a map that led Nancy straight to the school where she found a picture of Lucy and Karen. Karen, who claimed not to have known Lucy back in high school. Now, we know Karen is dating Nancy's dad, who we also know burned Lucy's bloody dress. But why? Why did he have it? Why did he lie to Nancy about it? Why did he burn it? Is he more suspicious than we're letting on? Could he be behind the Tiffany murder? And is that why he's working with Ryan so closely? Like I said, the mystery intensifies as we learn more about these characters, and the whodunit isn't so clear anymore. Chicago PD delivered a tough episode that made us question whether or not intelligence is really the good guys. Honestly, I don't know anymore. Halstead responded to a call where he made a gruesome discovery. Two young boys were shot while playing video games. One of the boys was the nephew of a gang leader, and they were ready to make someone pay for it, just like Halstead was. Except Halstead was a little too eager, and intelligence relied on a beta version of a facial recognition software to identify a guy that was walking nearby shortly after the murder. The dude they nabbed kept insisting that it wasn't him. He was just a junkie, not a murderer. But again, Halstead was determined. His determination sent the guy to county so they could break him, and instead he died after getting stabbed seven times. Not a good look for intelligence. But what was even worse is that intelligence covered it up to save their own ass. They let an innocent innocent man publicly take the fall because it was better than owning up to their mistakes. It was the lesser of two evils, yeah. No one wanted riots in the streets of Chicago, 
but that also didn't make it right. They soon learned that the software was terrible at identifying dark-skinned African-American men, which probably would have been good to know before they identified a dark-skinned African-American man. The real killer was the gang's leader, right-hand man. It was an inside job the whole time. And now Void's solution was to tell the gang leader all about it so that he would take care of it while intelligence publicly blamed the innocent dead man. I mean, how do these people even sleep at night? Everyone has to do better, and throwing down some cheap whiskey isn't going to erase this from intelligence's rap sheet. They'll likely continue with the series, with Halstead suffering no repercussions or being affected at all, but viewers aren't going to forget this easily. The city of Chicago is corrupt from the top down. It always has been, and it always will be. Chicago Med missed the perfect opportunity for a Halloween episode. The promo for this week uh, reveals a blood-sucking narrative, but by this point, Halloween's over and done with. Who makes the schedule for these episodes? Still, between Natalie's holistic misstep, Will's Jehovah Witness patient, and a gang inductee patient, there was enough action in the ED to deem things scary. The writers built Natalie's storyline up to this huge teachable moment, and then she wasn't punished, and worse, she was rewarded because she saved a kid's life, which she could have done while also not breaking the law and undermining the patients, the parents, and their beliefs. Natalie displayed reckless behavior, yet all she got was a slap on the wrist and a quick stint in jail before being hailed as a hero for finding something seriously wrong with the child. Even her romantic storyline was resolved too easily. She followed her gut and called things off with Philip. He walked away just as Halstead ran out to tell her that Philip faked the engagement. By that point, it didn't even matter because she'd already made up her mind and Halstead overstepped once again. It wasn't a good resolution for Philip's storyline. The whole time they made him seem so creepy and weird, but not only did it not make sense, it's now hard to believe that he would just walk away. I hate to say this, but I think there's some validity in the idea that he's going to come back for payback. Chicago Med has seemed to fully embrace the soap opera aspect of the storyline, so I don't I don't see why they wouldn't just pursue like a revenge plotline. Uh, Will Halstead didn't learn any lessons from his storyline, despite claiming to have realized how wrong he was for looking over Natalie's shoulder the whole time. He was so worried about her messing up, but he didn't realize that he's the one who constantly breaks the ethical code. He wanted so badly to save a patient that he convinced himself that the patient was no longer a practicing Jehovah Witness, which didn't sit well with the patient once he woke up and found out that he had been given blood. Surprising is that Will still has a job based on the way he cons- like continuously interjects himself and his beliefs onto every patient he treats. Both him and Natalie really just need to retake an ethics course. And it's I find it so strange that he knew Natalie was overstepping, yet somehow he justified his actions and never saw anything wrong in them. Another day, another classic Will Halstead moment. Noah is in way over his head. 
There's a reason why healthcare professionals aren't allowed to make things personal, even though they all do at some point. Noah allowed a girl who was joining a gang to stay at his place and trusted that she wouldn't cause him any trouble. Like, what's to say that this girl isn't going to change her mind and turn back to the gang? His heart is in the right place, but this isn't going to end well for him. And just wait till April finds out. It will prove her fears that he isn't mature enough correct. The trans storyline, while important, seemed to only be included for Dr. Charles to use it as an example that Sharon should give Bert another chance. That's super annoying to me, and it was more annoying than anything Will or Philip or Natalie could have done. And that's saying a lot. Sharon and Bert can be cordial, but there's no need for everyone to suddenly give someone a second chance. Honestly, not everyone deserves it. We didn't ask for this, but Dynasty went ahead and gave us a musical episode that was more of a treat than a trick. I'm not a fan of musicals, per se, but the fact that this one was billed as Fallon's hallucinations from a gas leak really worked in its favor. Fallon is a true star, and she really just took this moment and ran with it. I mean, from her moves, to her singing, to her facial expressions, this was it for her. Blake was awesome, and Adam was a true breakout star. I knew Sam Underwood sang, but this almost made me forget my hatred towards his character. I like him now just a little bit more. Crystal, on the other hand, well, she could have done away with her musical contributions. But regardless, it was a fun episode, and... Fallon did her best to convince Liam of their love story, and while she succeeded in stopping his wedding to Ashley, Liam still doesn't remember her and needs to just take some time to figure his life out. It's understandable. I have no doubt that they're going to eventually get back together, but for now, Fallon just needs to get back to being the boss babe that we loved in season one. The biggest twist was that Adam tried to turn off the gas leak in Fallon's room and suffered um, in the explosion. Is he going to lose his eyesight? It's possible. I doubt it because Adam gets away with everything. But if he does, it's karma with a capital K. After all the things he did to Fallon, Alexis, Stephen, and Liam, I mean, he's had this coming. I feel bad for saying that because I don't feel... Sorry for him in the slightest. And if this does cause permanent damage, well, it is his fault anyway for trying to sabotage Crystal and thus starting the gas leak. We finally got Alice's backstory on Batwoman, and, well, it definitely explains why she is the way she is. Kate tracks down Alice using Dodgson's tracker and questions why her sister hit up three different morgues stealing patches of skin. It's gross. But Alice has an explanation that goes back all the way to when she went missing. She takes Kate on a little trip to where it all happened and tells her that she was found by a man named Mr. Cartwright who kept her captive because she was nice to his son, whose face was badly burned and disfigured. She called the boy Mouse, as in the same mouse that Dodgson lucidly talked about to Mary. When she was still Beth at the time... Beth hoped and prayed that her father and sister would come looking for her, and eventually, when she escaped captivity, she picked up the phone and called her dad. The crazy part is that when that happened, Kate and the commander were both at the house looking for Beth, 
immediately after. But the man told her that if she warned anyone, he would kill them. So she hoped that Kate's twin senses would tingle and she'd make her dad check the whole basement. When she didn't, Beth, aka Alice, got angry. And she was also angry that her dad believed that Mouse Prank called him imitating her. Now, Alice's backstory may be heartbreaking and very illuminating, but it also takes away from her revenge. Her family did come looking for her, and until they were lied to about their death, they kept searching. They never truly gave up on her, which also then speaks to Alice's state of mind currently. She knows all of this, and she knows that Catherine lied to the commander, and yet she still chooses to believe that they're the bad ones. It's, it's like this thing that she's told herself to make herself feel better. She's latched onto the only other people in her life that she felt were family, and she's claimed them as family in this delusional state. And from where things stand, there doesn't seem to be much hope for Alice. She's angry and too far gone at this point. I mean, she drugged up and tied up her sister. She stabbed her own father and she calls Mouse her brother, who is just as trapped as she was. They both enjoy being deranged together. And I don't, I don't know if there's anything in that anyone else can do about it. It also makes me wonder what happened to Mr. Cartwright once Beth transformed fully into Alice and Johnny fully transformed into Mouse. And then there's Mary, who is kind of the levity of the episode. Um, She's so distraught by her mother's lie that she gets wasted and crashes Luke's party. And she's that annoying, talks way too much girl. And Luke is just trying to get his work done. But is anyone else sensing a romantic storyline here? So all in all, no one had a good day on this week's Batwoman. But maybe that'll change next time. And that's all I have for you guys. Uh, Another wild week of television has been wrapped up. What did you love? What did you hate? What are you most excited about in the coming few weeks of television? Are you excited for Christmas movies? Uh, Like, just let me know. Thanks for listening to Mimosa Talk, and I'll see you all next week.